finger there in 1 Corinthians chapter or 1 Kings chapter 13 and then turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6. Just as a reminder of why it is that God gives the details of some of these events. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, it says, Now these things took place as examples for, for who? For us. For us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Uh, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Uh, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Again, just a reminder of some of these things that we go over, failures that we see through Scripture, that it's, it's to serve us. So that we see the same temptations, we, the, we see the same sins, and for us, uh, their hindsight is our foresight. Um, that we can learn from them, apply an understanding of the knowledge that we've gained, and may it become wisdom for us as we rightly apply God's word. Uh, that way of escape that we read there in 1 Corinthians 10, number one, it's through God's word. And it also works in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, and that is the conviction brought by the Spirit in its knowledge, understanding, wisdom, discernment, and the exercise of your will to do the right thing when tempted to do the wrong thing. Any of you tempted to do the wrong thing from time to time? Maybe not today. Yeah, right? <laughs> we all are tempted. You know, uh, for him who says that uh, he is not tempted, you know, you're a liar. <laughs> We're all tempted. And so this is what we have here, an example of, of how it is that we are to take what we learn apply it to our lives, and it becomes wisdom to us. You know, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10 says, Do not be deceived. That means we can be deceived, right? God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So again, I also remind you to take your eyes off of others, place them squarely on yourself and God, ask him to reveal whatever is not of him, and as he does that, that you would ask for forgiveness, repenting of that, and that he would refine you, strengthen you, purify you, and help you to more closely and accurately reflect his character in your own life. So let's sow to the Spirit in our study of God's Word and learn to walk with great discernment in godly wisdom. Father, we want to commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask for your blessing. Lord, as we do study 1 Kings chapter 13, 
Lord, speak to us individually and also corporately as a, as a body of Christ. This is a, the local body of Christ here, Father. So we ask that you would pour into us, Lord, that we may be submitted, yielded to you as students at this very moment, that we would uh, desire uh, to receive from you something that's of value that um, we could not only learn from, but also understand how to apply to our lives, Lord, uh, in situations, whatever it is that we are confronted with, that we may respond in a manner that glorifies you, that honors you, and demonstrates our love for you by being obedient to your word. And so, Father, we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. All right, so first, first Kings chapter 13 says, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. Let's stop there. This is the introduction to uh, quite an amazing event here in 1 Kings and the life of Jeroboam. A man of God uh, arrives on scene just as he's, make, he's uh, uh, conducting sacrifices on the altar that he had established there in Bethel. And uh, we see here a man who is referred to, he's anonymous. He, he's not, we're not given his name. He's just referred to as a man of God. He was spoken to by God, given a task to complete, sent to Jeroboam from Judah to Bethel to warn him with a word of prophecy, a judgment against Jeroboam. And it's interesting because he caught him in the act of sacrificing on this false altar He's not a priest, he's not a Levite, and here he was, here's this man of God coming to Jeroboam and giving him this prophecy. It's, it's a word of judgment against Jeroboam. Now, this child, Josiah, that he refers to, uh, would be born to the house of David. Uh, that would be, he would be the man that would be used to kill all of the priests that had been established under the initial rule of Jeroboam. Uh, in all these high places that he established, we have already read about that, how it was that both in Dan and in Bethel, he set up these altars in uh, multiple high places throughout the northern kingdom. Now, this was a rebuke of what he was doing. Of course, God was directly opposed to what he was doing. It was a declaration of judgment against Jeroboam and against the altar and this would happen through a king of Judah as prophesied by a prophet of Judah. Not from the northern kingdom, but from the southern kingdom. He traveled north from Jerusalem. You travel north, northwest a bit. And it's not too far from Jerusalem, but he came to the northern king kingdom of Israel. And the Lord sent him to prophesy and warn Jeroboam. Uh, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 23. 
We're going to fast forward. I'll tell you how many years this is in just a few moments, but we're going to fast forward to the days of Josiah. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 15, it says, Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs, uh, the tombs were uh, there on the, the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord, that the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things. Let's go down to verse 19. And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. I refer to 2 Kings chapter 23 in these verses because this is a fulfillment of what this man of God had prophesied. God had sent him to Jeroboam to warn him this would happen, and it did. This man of God also, as he spoke these words, said that Jeroboam would have this confirmed by God by a sign. The altar would be torn down, be split, and the ashes that were on the altar would be poured out. It hadn't happened quite yet, but at the moment that he was speaking, that this, was, this, is, this is to give you a sign that this was indeed come from God. And if this were to happen, then of course it would indeed confirm that this was true and this was truly the word of God against Jeroboam. You know, it would do us good to consider how much of God's word has been fulfilled specifically. You know, if you're looking for a sign, sometimes we're, you know, we're, we're prone to do that. Something, just speak to me, God. And quite honestly, I think even those who know the Word of God very well are still looking for signs. Demonstrate your faithfulness. Show me something. Sign seekers. So it would do us good to consider how much of God's Word has already been fulfilled specifically. And another question is, is there any part of God's word that's been mistaken, that hasn't been accurate. Why? Because it would prove to us that God is faithful and his word is sure. It will happen just as God says it will happen. His promises are as we have sung our yes and amen. They, they will come about. In other words, we ask those questions and we, we realize and we're reminded of the fact that God is faithful. We just need to stand on God's word. We need to trust in his word and walk in his word. Be faithful to him. Even if others are not faithful, it really doesn't matter. Remember I told you, take your eyes off of other people. You know, let your, you know, communicate that to your attitude also. Your... Countenance, everything. 
Take your eyes off of other people. Put them squarely on you. You trust in God's word. You walk faithfully with him. And everyone will benefit because of it, and God will be glorified. You know, in Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Well, the man of God told Jeroboam what he was to say to him. And uh, the question is, how does Jeroboam respond? So let's continue. Verse 4 says, And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So, (laughs) pretty wild situation, wouldn't you agree? Immediately, this man who came to warn Jeroboam was going to be silenced by Jeroboam. Why? Just because Jeroboam didn't like what he was saying. That was it. And Jeroboam had the authority, he had the position to have him seized or have him arrested. The first sign of pride is a lack of consideration. You know that? Won't consider it. Won't even listen. Good dialogue has to do with Compromise in the sense to where you're at least willing to listen. But the first sign of pride is a lack of a lack of consideration. When someone is confronted with the word of God or immediate dismissal of the word and argument, this is how they respond. Confronted with the word and there's immediate dismissal of the word and an argument to justify personal actions or the actions of others even when specifically spoken to with the actual word of God. You know, again, these are are all tendencies that we have. Uh, We're all familiar with our inclination to do that very thing. We too, like Jeroboam, can can, uh, desire, can, can work to shut someone down immediately, not even really giving thought. You know, God gave us a mind to think about things. Consider having a good dialogue. An argument doesn't mean that you fly off the handle, that you uh, get, you know, put yourself into a frenzy. It doesn't mean any of that. A good argument considers both sides. You go back and forth, really trying to establish your position. And and if the word of God is central, and we both agree that that is the very thing that is preeminent in the discussion, the argument, then we should always submit and yield to that. What we have here is a rebellious spirit, a sinful spirit. And the one who just insists on justifying self or others in spite of of the word of God being revealed is also exhibiting a rebellious spirit, a sinful spirit against the Lord. You see, this man of God was speaking judgment on the altars that Jeroboam had established and upon which he himself sacrificed on. This was what Jeroboam was doing. In fact, he 
uh, this man of God found Jeroboam doing the very thing that he was not authorized to do. God had not given him that position. And yet he was doing it. And you know where this all originated with Jeroboam? Fear and pride. His fear of the people's hearts turning away from him and turning against him. And that's why he built this, this altar at Bethel and Dan and said, oh, you don't have to go down to Jerusalem. This is all out of convenience. We have the high places here. You can go there and, and sacrifice. In fact, I'll sacrifice on your behalf. Can we reason for a moment about all of this? We may. This was prophecy, but it was a word of warning. Let me ask you this. Could Jeroboam have repented of his evil ways at this moment? Absolutely, right? Could he have considered what God had told him? Of course. But let me remind you in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 35... Of something that he should have considered. Because God had come to Jeroboam. Remember that. God had come to Jeroboam. Verse 35, he says, But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you. Ten tribes, yet to a son I will give one tribe, that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take you. And you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you, and will walk in my ways, and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. A quick reminder of what it was that the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam specifically. He says, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of the son of Solomon, and I will give you, I will give you ten tribes, the northern tribes. But instead of considering what the man of God said, what did Jeroboam do? He reacted immediately. Immediately, stretching out his hand from the altar, from his position of assumption, and commanded that he be arrested. And just as Jeroboam stretched out his hand and pointed at the man of God, what happened? It dried up in that very position. So don't point, because that, you know, It's, it dried up and <laughs> this is some of the things, some of the, the, the events that have taken place throughout Scripture are just amazing. They're wild. This is one of those situations, one of those events to where it's like, wow, can you imagine being a witness to this? Jeroboam sticks out to him, seize him. Whoa, that's it. It dried up. It's like, I, 
put it, can you put it down? No, I can't put it down. That's it. It's dried. It's set in place. Remained in that way. And then something else happened as his hand stayed like that. What else happened? The altar split. Just as the man of God had said, the, the altar split and the ashes came pouring out that were on it. The word of God confirmed. And then the king said to the man of God in verse 6, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. Imagine that. Now King Jeroboam, all of a sudden he went from arrest him to, hey, entreat the Lord on my behalf that my hand be restored to what it was before. At this very moment, the king was visibly shaken by what had happened. Understood that it was God who had done this and anxiously asked the man of God to pray for him and asked the Lord, his God, the man of God's Lord and God, that his hand be restored as it was before. Let me ask you this, because sometimes we confuse these uh, responses by people with something that it's not. Was this repentance? Mm -mm. It wasn't repentance. Just because someone acknowledges that God has the power to restore and asks for it doesn't mean they have repented of what they did to destroy it in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. Oh, I have faith in God. Yeah, you, you have faith in God now. You believe that he can, but your heart's still the same. It hasn't changed one bit. They're just sorry of the consequences. We don't understand when we come to God. That's why I talk about when you come to God and you come to church, and we see this played out often. And there's a broken marriage. There's something going on. And, and you think, well, you, you have come to the right place. Because you're going to hear about who God is. And, and the story of redemption. But it isn't all about fixing you. As far as your marriage is concerned. Or any other issues that you have brought to this gathering. The bottom line is, is that God wants your heart he wants you to repent, you to turn, and things begin to fall into place because you allow the Lord to begin that work of sanctification in your own life. You know, years ago, before I came to Christ, I thought the same way. You know, if you, if you want to, you know, learn about being good, then go to church, you know, and learn about being good and lead a good life. Um, you can find people there at church leading good lives for the most part. And that's where you go if, if you kind of get into trouble. But what I didn't realize is that this is a gathering of the saints. <laughs> this is a time of worship, of, of being discipled, of growing, of stirring each other up to love and good works. You know, and in the midst of it, as we demonstrate our love toward one another, we, we demonstrate that we belong to God. And we demonstrate our love toward God in, in learning what 
blesses and glorifies him, and then do it. Why? Because it's a proper response to the love that he first demonstrated to us. Everything started shifting for me big time when I surrendered, when I yielded my life to the Lord. After that, I realized that those awful things I contributed to my life to destroy it was my own doing. I, I was reaping what I had been sowing. And now I no longer desired to do that, but I desired to do those things that glorify the Lord and honored him. And in so doing, things started just coming into place to where they became whole. You see, God doesn't just restore us, but he starts restoring other things around us if we walk obediently with him. So this man here was just sorry for the consequences. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Why? Because it's a sorrow of consequences only and not a sorrow and confession of personal guilt, and it does not involve a change of heart. But as Jeroboam requested, the man of God did ask the Lord on his behalf. And the king's hand was restored to him. Two things to consider here. Number one, uh, this was further proof that the man of God was sent by God. And what happened, happened by the hand of God. No pun intended. But it was the very Lord that had not only caused his hand to dry, but it was also the power of God that brought him wholeness. Second, God demonstrated something absolutely beautiful, something that you are a recipient of, and so am I. That's undeserved kindness. Uh, this was something that Jeroboam was the recipient of at that very moment. You don't deserve this kindness. You don't deserve what God has just done, and yet he did do it. God was being patient toward him. Why? Not wishing that he should perish, but that he should come to repentance. Because we know that God's kindness draws people unto him. Just because you get out of a difficult situation, by the way, because of your own doing, doesn't mean that you have favor with God or that he is approving of you. It's something else that we confuse. Sometimes we get out of a bind and we think, okay, or, or, or sometimes we, we just kind of skate through something without much damage and we think, oh, God's approving of it. That, that's not what, that's what, not what that proves. It just proves that God is merciful, patient, and he's kind toward you. That's what that proves. Consider all things and know when the Lord is being patient with you, as for him to do this work of revealing your heart to you so that you may repent of the things that are offensive to him. Jeroboam was thoroughly impressed and thankful and asked the man of God to go home with him to give him food and drink and even reward him for having asked God to restore his hand. So this was a, 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 something of a response that would be normal, right? Hey, he just restored my hand. I know that I was about to arrest him, but hey, everything is cool. 
we're good. Uh, now come to my palace and I'll give you food, drink, and you know, give you refreshment and uh, even give you a reward for petitioning the Lord on my behalf. Well, let's see what happens here. Verse 7, And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. So, we see all of this take place, and, and uh, the man of God wasn't given specific instructions by God, to, or, or he had been given specific instructions to not eat, not drink, not hang out. He was to not do any of those things in that place, and he was to leave by a different path, a different way. You're not going to leave by the same path that you came. You're going to go out a, a different way. Uh, the question is, is... What was the harm if the man of God did accept this invitation? What's the harm? What was, what was God's command? Again, going back to the word of God. What did God say? Don't eat, don't drink. Don't leave the same way you came in. Go. God said so, that's enough. But we know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, right? James 4.4? We know that. God says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. So this man had been judged. Uh, judgment had been pronounced. He had been warned. But he didn't respond, did he? He didn't repent. But at the same time, he was being nice now to this man of God. What is he to do? He is to be obedient to the word of God. God has his reasons and his perfect wisdom and his perfect knowledge. I just know that God said no, and we are called to be faithful to him. Not to our own desires, nor to the desires of others, if they are contrary to God's desires. Amen? The man of God was right in rejecting Jeroboam's offer, and he left. This, again, is something that we ought to, to really learn and apply in our own lives. You know, sometimes we get influenced by those around us. You know, even one person or two people or a number of people around us, and we get influenced to the point to where we feel inclined, we, we start to believe what they're saying as far as the justification of why it is that we're right in our own eyes. And it shouldn't be that. The bottom line is, let's be faithful to the Lord and what he says in his word, period. That's it. It's what he said. Although we, at the moment, think that we should go a different way and respond differently, the Lord doesn't give us that, that leeway. He just tells us, believe me, trust me, have faith in what I'm telling you. Know that in the Lord, he has your best interest at heart. The man of God, again, was right in rejecting Jeroboam's offer, and he left. Verse 11 says, Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came 
uh, and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told uh, to the father uh, the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And so they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the, the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. Let's stop there. Well, so here we have this old prophet that's introduced to us now. He lived in Bethel with his sons. He learned of what had taken place by the mouth of his sons, who apparently were in, at that high place at Bethel with Jeroboam the king, and saw which, not only which way uh, the man of God had left, but also they knew every single word that had come out of this man's mouth. So they brought word to their father. Uh, and here is this, it, he's, he's referred to as the, an old prophet, an old prophet. But there was much compromise with this old prophet and his sons. Where were his sons? At the high place. With Jeroboam. This was not the right place to be. Uh, if, if the prophet was someone who was sound, he would have not been there to begin with, nor would he approve of what was taking place in the northern kingdom. Uh, this old prophet told his sons, hey, saddle the donkey. Um, which way did he go? And he went after him, found him sitting under an oak tree. When he found the man of God, he confirmed who he was and then asked him to come back with him to his home. Come back, I'll give you something to eat. And, and, and again, the man of God refused, sit, uh, citing the command of God that he can't, he can't stay. He can't, I can't eat. I can't drink with you. I, I, have to, I have to leave. I have to go. Again, the question is, why would God tell the man of God to not do so? Why, why not stick around? You know, if something good can come of this. You know, this, this old prophet, doesn't it depend on who asks you? As I considered this question, I thought of where this man of God was. Uh, you could say that in a way he was in, in the land of compromise. And the enemy would stoop to any level to stop the work of the Lord and stop the person of God. Stopping the, the, the man of God would stop the work of the Lord, the advancement of God's will. When Jesus told Peter that, that hell will not prevail against the church, he told him this. And I had been thinking, it's funny because I was thinking about this since the very morning when I was crossing the railroad tracks at, on center going to work. And I see the gates coming down. I, I've been thinking about, you know, the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I thought, that isn't, think about it. I mean, we're thinking about... Satan, hell, you were thinking about uh, the demons and, and, and all that. And, like, and if hell is described as these gates, right? 
these gates are designed to do what? Do they, like when they come down, right, Robert, do they, do they like, like come at you? No? What are they designed to do? Yeah. To warn, right? Yeah. And so we believe that there is danger behind those gates. I asked Robert because he worked for the road. <laughs> but BNSF, right? And so, <clears throat> so as, as they're down, what are they designed to do? They're designed to stop. Stop you. That's it. Just stop. You know, I was reading this morning also in wrapping up Daniel. And Daniel had been fasting and praying for three weeks. Three weeks. Um, there was this actual angel that was dispatched because of his prayers. Sent by God to answer Daniel's prayer. But this is what had happened. He had been delayed. The gates came down. It had been delayed. Uh, stopping the advancement of God's will, what, what was desired to have been accomplished. And it says in Daniel 10, 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood him 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. After that, you know, he was telling Daniel this, and so obviously Michael had overwhelmed this prince of Persia, uh, of the kingdom of Persia, and he was able to advance. But for three weeks, 21 days, he withstood him, and the gates were down, and he stopped the advancement. You see, Satan and his minions work like a gate to stop the work of the Lord, but we need to understand that they are never ultimately successful. And this is what was happening with the man of God as, as we see this old prophet come to him. He was in the land of the compromising, even if this man was an old prophet, quote-unquote. All things should have been considered as the gates of hell was making every attempt at stopping or di diminishing the work that God had sent this man to accomplish. Because you know what could happen after the fact? It would not have the same effect, and the work of the Lord would be diminished if this man could be brought down. You think about some of these pastors that have fallen. What happens with all of the work that took place beforehand? Oh, there's, there's much fruit there. But what happens is all that work is diminished. I was just listening. Uh, uh, I, I was um, going through a conference. And uh, there were some, some recorded messages. And I'm, there was this pastor who had fallen in. I thought, you know what, I'm going I'm to listen to his message. And I was listening through one of my, my most favorite pastors and the way he taught. I just loved listening to him. And as I was going through, I was thinking, it's not the same. It's just not the same. I, I, I couldn't receive from him as I did one day. It's just sad commentary. If, if the Lord can bring us down even after the fact, what happens to all the work? Some of it becomes ineffective. That's why we've got to be very careful to be steady, to be consistent. And I'm speaking of Bob Coy. It's public knowledge, and we all understand. And again, it's just, of course, it, it just, it, it shames the name of the Lord. It, it just diminishes the work, is what it does. Well, this is what we have with this man of God who is confronted by the old prophet. Um, well, at this point, he said, no thanks. 
because he considered God's word over his. And at this point, we can say to the, the man of God, good job, right? Good job, good decision. Well, let's go on though. <laughs> Verse 18, and he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Oh. We see this uh, old prophet persuade this man of God. Um, he was persuaded by a man whom he should have been able to trust. It says here that he was lied to. And you know, sometimes for us it's hard to believe. Someone who we should have been able to trust... You know, our, our response to that is, what? No, no way. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe it at all. There's, there's no, there's no way. I know Bob and he wouldn't do something like that. No. It is naive to think that someone who once lived a faithful life unto God could stoop to such a wicked level. You know your own heart, right? You know, if you re remove yourself from fellowship with the Lord and, and stop taking good sound counsel, biblical counsel, you know what happens? You start believe, to believe your own counsel. Remember we were talking about how it was that there was a king who received counsel from himself. It didn't go over very well for him. But of all people who would know how to persuade someone who's of the faith, it would be this man, this old prophet. You see, he knew the lingo. They're all more likely to be trusted. But <clears throat> this was against the word of God, wasn't it? It was against the word of God. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. It's here. Or uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, says this. I am astonished. And this is the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, he uh, was used mildly by the Lord. But Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we were, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In other words, anyone who's, who comes trying to convince you against God's word should be dismissed. Period. Did I repeat that? Anyone who comes to you trying to convince you against God's word should be dismissed. Confronted and even shunned if they do not repent. That's biblical, by the way. We can look at scripture verse after verse after. There's, there's plenty that tells us that very thing. You see, I'm sure this old prophet was happy to have the man of God eating and drinking in his own. But it came by way of a lie, a deception. There's this fellowship. You know, like let's talk about some, some religious stuff. You know, some, I'm familiar with it. I'm an old prophet. 
but it came by way of a, a lie, deception, and perhaps he had ulterior selfish motives for bringing him to his home, making him feel better about himself to make it appear to others that he has God's favor and he is accepted by God's people to justify his compromising choices. Those are all things that we, we are inclined to do. By the way, this happens today. People who remain in sin and compromising yet call on godly people to hang out with them and to endorse them indirectly are actually manipulating and deceiving for their own benefit and to appear as some, someone they're not. It, it's just by association. I know so-and-so and so-and-so is over and like, okay, do they know everything? This is nothing new. Listen, we're talking about back in 1 Kings chapter 13. This is Jeroboam a man, uh, in this man of God and this old prophet. This is back then. And this old prophet did this to this man of God at that time. You don't think it's happening today? Come on, don't be naive. Satan's tactics become pretty clear after a while of being in God's word and seeing what he has been doing throughout history. Consequences, though, is what we see. Verse 20, let's continue. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back, and he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. Um, and as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body, and behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body, and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. Well, the old prophet may have lied earlier, but now an actual word of God did come to him. As they were eating, as they were breaking bread together, and he's being hospitable to this man of God. But it wasn't good news. It was to tell the man of God that he was going to be judged for his error and disobedience. God did indeed tell you. See, the Lord was, had told the old prophet to tell the man of God. And so he had confirmed to the old prophet that indeed what the man of God had told him was true. He shouldn't have deceived him. He shouldn't have manipulated him. And... Uh, Destroyed the trust, of course, and brought him to his own house. He should have just believed this man for what he had spoken. I imagine that this was shocking. This was shocking to the old prophet, and this was shocking to the man of God. It, because what he told him at this point was, this is a disgraceful death that you're going to experience. It, it's, it's a disgrace. And it happened. The old prophet didn't know how it would happen. But the man of God was killed by the lion, and, and then there was this donkey that came. So there was this lion and donkey that stood by the man's body as people passed by.
The donkey stayed there. The lion didn't touch any of the passers-by. The lion didn't devour him. Even he just killed him. Used as an instrument of judgment by God. The question is, why such a serious and immediate judgment against the man of God? After all, Jeroboam was guilty of so many more and serious sins, right? He was, he was a man leading all of Israel into sin. You know, there are some that are held to a stricter judgment. Um, and this comes because they should know better, like teachers of the word. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And this is why great fear comes upon me. Like, I, I cannot but speak God's word. I, to speculate and to put more into God's word than what is actually there, to misinterpret, that's, that's the greatest fear that I have. To, to not um, confront something that is twisted, uh, perverted as far as God's word is con concerned, and especially when people bring something up and, and when we're all together, gathered together as far as a group of this church is concerned, because um, I'm responsible for you. And if somebody twists something in our presence, I feel compelled, I am compelled to confront that and make those things straight. I, I, will, I will fight. Why? Because I don't want you believing something that isn't true. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to be, I'm the one that's going to be held to a stricter judgment. And I want to be found faithful to the Lord. I hope you have that same heart, that you want to be found faithful before the Lord. You know, this was um, a sin unto death. And we see that in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. There is a sin that leads to death. And for the Son of God, this was a sin that led to physical death that the soul would be preserved. And so he died. He was at, at the, uh, because of the line that had been appointed for that to bring a judgment. You, you see, God will not contradict himself. He is not comp a compromising God. Is he patient? Yes. But he is faithful to fulfill his word. Uh, this was also a confirmation to the old prophet that this was indeed a man of God sent by God to warn Jeroboam with a prophecy. So not only did he get this word from the Lord, telling him that this judgment would come upon the man of God, but also because it was such immediate judgment, the old prophet could also come to his side and see for himself what he had been told would happen. It was all there. So this was a confirmation to the old prophet. Uh, verse 26, let's continue. Says, and when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. 
And he laid the body in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. So the old prophet, as we see here, um, honored the man of God by burying him in his own grave. He, he put him on his donkey, brought him back to the city, took him back to his own grave, his very own grave, and he, he honored him in that way. He buried him in his own grave. And he asked his sons, when I die, bury me next to him. Let my body be put to rest next to him. Because it was at this moment, with all of this having taken place, that the old prophet realized that this man was indeed a man of God who truly brought the word of God faithfully to warn Jeroboam. With this, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 17. Then he said, and this is Josiah speaking, then he said, what is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, let him be, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. So now we know where the old prophet came out of. He came out of Samaria. But this was a fulfillment, again, of what not only the man of God had been spoken to by the Lord, but, but now we know the words that had been spoken to the old prophet by God as far as the man of God was concerned. And so all of this just... It, it just uh, confirmed all of what God had established by his word. Verse 33 says, After this Jeroboam, this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be, the, be priests of the high places, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, uh, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. Even with all of this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. He didn't repent. Um, he, he didn't turn from his wicked ways. And, and sadly enough, the people followed him. Uh, for this, it became, a sin, it became sin to Israel, the entire nation. The entire nation did exactly what the king was doing, and they followed him. And so for them, it became wickedness. It was evil, and they were judged because of that. And there were many other kings that uh, followed, of Israel, that followed in the footsteps of Jeroboam. In fact, it was said that uh, whenever a king was evil, uh, he went the way of Jeroboam. He would follow the sin of Jeroboam. That was referred to often. Here's the thing is God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to fulfill it. We should humbly acknowledge this, come to know his word, and strive to faithfully bless the Lord by being obedient to it. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so that's what I hope as we consider this chapter of 1 Kings, that 
we see how it is that through the failures of both the son of God or the, the man of God and uh, Jeroboam and even this old prophet and the things that he did, that those are the things that we wouldn't we wouldn't repeat. Those are the things that we would consider, these interactions, these events, these, these things that they gave themselves to that we ourselves wouldn't give ourselves to. And so let us learn, let us apply, as we read also in 1 Corinthians, how it is that all these things came about for our training, for our instruction, for our warning, um, to really benefit us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, time of study in your word. I ask, Lord, that you'd often remind us of these truths and Lord that we would Lord be sober minded Lord we would be willing and to respond faithfully to your word Lord even if if others don't agree it really doesn't matter even our opinion as far as what your word says doesn't matter if it doesn't align with your word and so I pray father that you would help us to deny ourselves to, to pick up our cross and follow you daily, sometimes moment by moment. That your spirit would fill us to overflowing and that we would be taught, Lord, and learn how to apply your word that you may be glorified in our lives. May, may we be men and women of God, known um, as faithful servants of the Most High. And so, Father, we thank you for this time. We just praise you, and uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so do we have Beth? No? All right, let's all stand. <clears throat> She's in the youth room. Wow. So um, do we have lyrics for How Great Thou Art? Yeah? All right. Well, I'll start us off and it'll be up on the screen. Is that what you said? Yes? Yeah. Let me know when you're ready. Good. Oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods, the forest glades I wander, and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze, 
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul.